Welcome to Diner Talks with James. Slide into the booth and let's have conversations we never want to end with friends we never want to leave over food we probably shouldn't be eating. My friends, welcome to another episode of Diner Talks with James. I'm James and I'm pumped to be here kicking it with you all in the diner y'all what will you have today what are you interested you want to be one of those random people that orders a steak in the back of the menu that's fine we got it for you our little steak and eggs get after it you want to do a little chicken fried chicken how you feeling feeling southern great good for you whatever you want we got it here in the diner we also have a large array of dusty bottles of alcohol that nobody ever orders but if you want some we'll dust it off for you don't you worry about it friends i'm excited to be kicking it here in the diner with you I have a good friend of mine. Well, a good uh, a friend. I'm going to call him a good friend because I'm manifesting a great friendship out of this man. Uh, but truth be told, we've only met a handful of times. But every time, he brings a huge smile to my face. His name is Brian Walter. He is a Seattle-based Extreme NC. And that is a registered trademark, so don't be trying to steal anything, all right? <clears throat> he is the co-founder of Extreme Meetings Incorporated, which provides customized infotainment to make meetings memorable. For over 25 years, he has specialized in transforming meetings from boring to exciting. Building on a degree in communications from UCLA, Brian has been an advertising director, award-winning television and radio commercial producer, management trainer, adjunct professor at Seattle Pacific University. He's, re- he's repeatedly delivered for this had better be great or else clients like Microsoft, Starbucks, T-Mobile, and Costco. Casually, he's also a past Guinness Book World Record holder for being the world's uh, for producing the world's shortest TV commercial. And he's also the past president of the National Speakers Association, an organization that I joined about four or five years ago. I think right around the time that his reign was ending. I think I saw him in his year as year as presidency. And so uh uh, he's also married to his college sweetheart for 37 years. Shout out to Karen Walter. He's got two beautiful children and a very spoiled, fluffy corgi named Roxy. Y'all, Brian Walter is going to bring the energy and bring the funk. I'm excited for you to meet him. Let's bring him out right now. Brian, how you doing? Hey there, James. Great to be here at the diner. The yes. diner. Yes. Welcome. What will you be having? Uh- <laughs> oh well. So, uh, let's see. The uh, I brought I brought some of my own food here since apparently it's virtual. So I brought my mm-hmm. favorite blue diamond almonds, honey roasted, honey roasted. Oh. Because this is as close to almond crack as you're ever going to get without <laughs> having any negative side effects. Instead of like seven thousand calories, but probably crunching it <laughs> to the microphone, maybe. <laughs> Maybe I'll I'll hold off on that, but that's my current entree. Okay, that's perfect. That's perfect. Uh, the honey roasted nut is by far the most superior of the nuts as well. Oh, yes. So yeah, I, I'm I'm with it you. It elevates this. it. It's like the James Beard of packaged, prepackaged, you know, mass produced. Yes, yeah. exactly. It's like the my beard of. Oh wait, uh, no. <laughs> The award-winning chef of the uh, the almond world. I agree. Brian, I'm curious. You know, this show is called Diner Talks with James. And mm-hmm. so if you and I were going to get together late at night at a diner in person, and yes. this all, you could also take me all the way back if you don't do that kind of thing anymore. I'm wondering, what is a late-night guilty pleasure food order for you? You know, you're out on the West Coast, so diners oh, aren't yes. as prolific. Yes. Uh, but uh, maybe, maybe you have another move that you love. 
I have, uh, to me, it's similar to the question, like if you could only eat one food for the rest of your life, which would somehow be good for you, even yeah. though it's not, but somehow good. For the rest of my life, I would eat mac and cheese. Mm. Mac and cheese. There's something about it is to me the ultimate comfort food. I mean, it's pasta and cheese and it go and it's warm and it's, ah, it's like to me, that is the, that is my, food happy place yeah much to the chagrin of any nutritionist i've ever talked to yep yeah well they can go for a walk this so. is the diner um <laughs> the diners, they serve health food uh, healthy food i mean should say healthy they serve comfort food yeah uh, so i would go right to the mac and cheese on any menu I love that. I love that. Now, are you, you know, in the mac and cheese world, there's a couple of debates. Are you breadcrumbs or no breadcrumbs on top? You know, um, I am uh, breadcrumbs fluid. See? Yeah. Oh, wow. There you go. I, I, I can I can go either way. Yeah. And so I can adapt to whatever environment <laughs> I'm in. Yeah. Um, but I will not judge those who uh, prefer one way or the other i'm i'm a zealous moderate i yes. mean i'm just at a time of hyper partisanship i go both ways <laughs> what what does that even mean that means you listen to both sides hang on a second i don't know if that's allowed anymore uh <laughs> i guess i eat both sides so i don't really know yeah, symbolically true. what that means but yeah yes. that's fair that's fair mm -hmm. uh, i appreciate that uh i, I, I love it because what I'm hearing you say is that nothing will get in the way of my mac and cheese. And, uh, and I appreciate that. The focus is the glory of whatever is underneath the top layer. And uh, so I appreciate that and respect it. Mac and cheese is definitely one of my favorite food groups as well. <laughs> I think it should be. It's, I didn't see it in the food pyramid growing up, but yeah. I'm sure that's an oversight. I'm sure. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, they, 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 they just missed it. I think. <laughs> Ryan, I know that you currently live in Seattle, great town. Mm -hmm. uh, and are you are you born and raised West Coast? Where 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 did you where did you come to us? Where where did you? Oh, I came out. Uh, I grew up in Southern California, within okay. sight of the fireworks of Disneyland at nine fifteen p.m. every night. Wow. Okay. So were you in in Anaheim? Actually, a little, a little city uh, in Orange County, which is near Anaheim, but I yep. was in a little uh, city called Villa Park. Oh, okay. <laughs> Should technically be Villa Parque or Villa Parque, but uh, no, we went Villa, Villa, we went there, you know, <laughs> Villa Park. And uh, yeah, I could see the fireworks from Disneyland from my house. And so I had the whole Southern California growing up experience. No, I was not a surfer. No, I did not have wonderful blonde hair back in the day, <laughs> but uh you know, but the other Southern California things I all got to experience growing up. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <clears throat> yeah, you got to love the way uh, we Americans have taken uh, so many beautiful potential words and just been like, no, nah, we're not going to call it that. My, one of my favorite is Versailles, Kentucky. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> definitely not Versailles here in Kentucky. It is yes. Versailles. <laughs> Versailles, that's, that's kind of sad in a... <laughs> funny sort of way yeah exactly exactly it's like, ha, 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 yeah. yeah we're okay <laughs> yep <laughs> and we fade like homer simpson into the bushes uh <laughs> so growing up in uh in villa park yeah oh, tell me tell me about your childhood do you are you an only sibling or do you have do you have uh an only child i should say or do you have siblings I, I I do have an older sister who I did not at all get along with growing up. And it wasn't until we became adults that we actually liked each other. Now we're very close. So I guess if you had to choose, I guess it's probably better to 
start bad and then end great because you're an adult longer than you're a child. Uh, But the deal was that, you know, I was, uh, I I, I was, I was small. I was not athletic. And my sister was a stud at, I mean, she was like the first, like with, you know, the title nine where look, maybe we should spend money on girl sports too. So she's a softball star, everything athletic. She'd want to play catch with me and I was never good enough. And so, uh, so I grew up and like, Oh, my sister. uh, So, Uh, but I quickly, uh, because I wasn't good at the athletic prowess side of things, I was a band geek, James. Oh, That's yes. Right. And then very the juicy what stuff. sexy instrument did you play, Brian? I played the trombone. <gasps> Whoop! That's right, because <laughs> name all your favorite trombonists. Okay, that was a short <laughs> list. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, I was a band geek, uh, but that was the era of like Earth, Wind, and Fire. Mm. Ooh. You know, winter wonder. I mean, we, you know, suddenly brass was cool to several of us. And uh, so, yeah, I was a band gated marching band, concert band, jazz band. Uh, there was one time in high school, I realized that um, four out of my seven classes were music classes. Wow. That's kind of cool that you were able to do that. <laughs> uh, yes. I don't know if it was smart, but I did. Right. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I mean, you got into UCLA, so you did something good enough. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that's incredible. My brother was also a, a trombonist and oh. wanted to play and, and went all the way and actually played in uh, a marching band in college as well, like went went deep into the trombone world. So I have a lot of respect yeah. for trombonists. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> you and seven other people excellent yes <laughs> well, i'm the- just glad that i was allowed to procreate i mean really yeah. i mean that's just you know. <laughs> but here's the thing about the trombone is that the trombone i mean yes it's 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 a funky wonky instrument but now when you hear a trombone like if you're walking around new orleans and you hear a trombone you're immediately happy there's just something i, I don't know it just it, it the sound of it the uh, it, its ability to do all the sliding and everything. You just do things that other instruments can't do. And I think it just brings people joy. Mm-hmm. It's like a, it's like a toy plus an instrument. And people are like, I got it. Okay. I like a toy cool. plus an instrument. I like that. The <laughs> thing I liked about the trombone was it's an approximate inter- instrument. You know, yeah. it's, it's a close <laughs> enough instrument. I mean, like I briefly played trumpet and you're like, you have three different combinations here, or you've got, you know, flute, a clarinet. There's like 19 different, da, 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 da. you're <laughs> yeah. somehow supposed to drum on you. That's about, that's close. I mean, like, you just get close, yeah, and that's good enough. One of the five positions, good enough. Uh, yeah, that's awesome. I played the trumpet, uh, and not well, mind you, not well. Uh, but I, I played it, uh, and it was one of those things where, I mean, you know this as someone who was more proficient at their instrument than I was. Uh, you got to practice, and I just didn't find the joy in practicing and getting better. I had a lot of fun all the way down at the end of the third section, just making jokes. At one point, the conductor threw the wand at me because you know this wit this wit exactly yeah, popped it out of my eye yeah for sure yep <laughs> the lawsuit settled i'm i'm doing great um but <laughs> uh but yeah the uh 
uh, <clears throat> so yeah, I mean, I would just once, once a wise ass, always a wise ass. And so, um, that, that was my role yeah. in the band. I once had one of my best friends, Steve, um, he, he played the, the trumpet really well. He was always first or second chair. He was one of those fancy guys that bought the silver trumpet, you know, the, oh, wow. yeah, yes, you know, the time. You and uh, that's how good he thought he was. <clears throat> and, uh, but one point he heard his, he like, uh, broke, uh, something in the bottom of his leg now uh, playing football. And so we sat down with me at the end and he had mm-hmm. so much fun that when auditions came around next time, he intentionally bombed the audition so we could just hang out in the last couple of chairs and just have a good time. So that's my uh, brass experience. Yes. Well, I, <laughs> it's funny enough because um, part of the reason you didn't do well at trumpet, that's not the right instrument for you. Cause here's mm-hmm. like, there were, they're physical types. And it's like, when you think of it, it's like, okay, trumpets are the fighter pilots of the band. They're mm-hmm. small, young, cocky. Like I can go higher. No, I can do higher than you. I mean, they're just, you know, cocky. <laughs> yep. da, 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 da. Uh, you're a bigger guy. It's like, you should have played baritone or mm-hmm. something like that or a brass, or it's like even better Barry sax. I could see you play yes. Barry sax in a jazz band. It's like, it's like nine feet. All of you can just down and down and down. It's like that would have been your instrument. In fact, I got so good at recognizing types. I remember I was in college in the UCLA marching band, and we did an event at Disneyland, of course, because in Southern California, that's what you do. And so we yep. met up with another band. And so there's like, you know, five or six of us and, you know, seven or eight of them. And I mentioned this that, like, there's types. And they said, oh, yeah, prove it. And so I went through and I said, okay, you play this, 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 and this. And I got six out of eight right. Wow. Just by looking at them. It's like, (laughs) you're blonde and attractive. You play flute. Okay, there you go. It's like, okay. Mm -hmm. And you, sir, you're clearly having substance issues. You're a drummer. Okay, there you go. It's like... uh, it was great. People felt red and got a little counseling session at the same time. That was great for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. Uh, and I agree. I mean, it's funny that you mentioned Barry Sachs because that is one of my favorite uh, instruments that I love to hear. Uh, like I, I enjoy, I listen to a lot of hip hop um, and whenever there's that Barry Sachs sound in a beat, um, I'm like, yes, let's go. So uh, yeah, you're right. You pinned me. So if time travel becomes possible and you go back in time and you wish to change your childhood, Mm-hmm. Barry Sachs. Barry Sachs. Barry that's only, Sachs. And that's the only thing I'm changing. Uh, <laughs> we're just going to see where that takes me. Uh, as a scientist, I can only change one variable. So, uh, probably not yeah. that one. <laughs> Given the choices, you know, probably not that one. Yeah, no. Yeah, I definitely wouldn't choose to improve my self esteem. Um, <clears throat> what? So, uh, <laughs> but. <laughs> The um the fact that you were a band geek is awesome. Now, did you um, did you also did you play in any bands? Like you know, you mentioned that you know you were at a time where Earth, Wind, and Fire big bands are still uh, are still doing their things at that time uh, and and whatnot. Did you did you play in any bands outside of school as well? Uh, yes, basically, I joined everything. Now, interesting, you said thing about practicing. Here's the interesting thing. I didn't like to practice by myself because that Mm -hmm. is a solo experience. And you and I both being raging extroverts. It's like, (laughs) how do you punish extroverts? You make Mm -hmm. them go into the room by themselves. Yep. And so, so, but to get better, you have to like play all the time. And so my solution was play all the time. (laughs) So I didn't practice, but I played multiple times every single day. So I joined everything. I played every band I was in. 
the marching band. I was in the concert band. I was in the orchestra and I was in the jazz band just with my high school. But then I joined a local college uh, band. I volunteered for a junior high to play in the band for their plays. Uh, you know, I, again, basically anything that came up, I joined. I was part of the American Youth Symphony and toured mm-hmm. Europe. I joined a church group called the Overtones, and I didn't even know what an overtone was, but I joined <laughs> that. And so basically I joined everything. So I was constantly playing. I was constantly social in groups, and that was my world. Yeah. The world awesome. of you're about third row from the back behind the trumpets mm-hmm. and doing things that irritate them. That was my world. Yeah. Yeah. Pop, popping them in the head every once in a while. Um. <laughs> Actually we had our squirt bottles. Remember? So uh, you know, when oh, you have yeah. a slide trauma, you have cream on your slide and you mm-hmm. have, you have this little squirt bottle to keep it, you know, loose. Well, you can adjust that. And you have now a stream of water, which you can peg people in the back of the head from, you know, it's like, yep. And, and let alone the spit valve. Um, yes. Yeah, for sure. Plenty of things you could do, really, with the trombone. Very versatile. Uh, <laughs> that's awesome. Now, here's the thing about me as an extrovert, and, and I don't know if this would relate to you as well, so feel free to uh, push back on it or agree, whichever one you're sitting with. Uh, but mm-hmm. as an extrovert, uh, I've often found that, you know, I, I also absolutely love to be around people, but there's a question that I sometimes ask myself. It's like, what am I, what am I running from? Um, like, and I want to be uh, like, what is it about being alone that is so draining for me? What am I avoiding? What am I, uh, all that kind of stuff. And, and I remember this came out a lot for me, especially in high school, like when, where most problems come from. Uh, <laughs> and, and so this came a lot for me out of that where, uh, you know, whenever I would get back to school after a weekend and people would be like, Oh, we were all hanging out this weekend. I'd be like, Oh, cool. I sat around and doing it. No one called me. Um, and I remember that affecting my self-esteem a lot now uh, where it would be like, Oh, you all were hanging out and I wasn't, but you say that I'm funny and you like me uh, whenever we're hanging out. So like, what, why don't you remember me in the moment when it's like, Hey, we should invite James too. Uh, and so this affected my self-esteem wildly. And so that was something that I know being around people, being around Mm -hmm. people, it it gave me something to do. It made me not have to sit in the silence that I didn't like. And uh, so it kept me just in keeping my hands busy and keeping my mind busy. uh, I therefore didn't have to face a lot of what was actually potentially going on in my head in the stillness of it. Is that something that you ever felt or that's totally fine. I'm, I'm happy to be alone on this, but I'm wondering if you in re, in retrospect, as you look back at it, is that something that potentially was going on for you? Oh, absolutely not, not, not. <laughs> <laughs> okay. A couple of things here on, on that one is um, again, we humans, we are s- such complex creatures. Yes. And, and I think there's different ways. I mean, we, when we all have our, mental health issues and our challenges and our, how we develop and our self-esteem. And another way to look at it is that from what do you derive your energy, your personal energy, when you mm-hmm. are your most engaged self, what's happening? I sense with you and I, it's like we're with people and we're riffing off people and the situations because we like to be improvisational, yep. you, even more so than me. Um, and it, it, it's fodder for us to interact with. And it's like, mm-hmm. and it's harder to do that by yourself. And now we may or may not have issues 
being uh, being alone, but it's like when your happiest thing is interacting with people, then yeah, being by yourself isn't as fun. Now, <laughs> no. now it can be clinically not good. Or you can, so again, you could have issues by being yourself, but in general, people, even introverts, don't like isolation. I was listening to this oddly, and if I was listening to his podcast last week, and it was this psychologist, neurologist person, and they were talking about this old study that they did, and this was when, it was probably during the 70s or 80s, they took people into a room, and I'm sure they were college freshmen, because, you know, but, you know, they took random people into a room, no stimuli at all in the room, and they said, it's like, okay, here is a buzzer, there is a shock on it, so I want you to get like, okay, like, enough, like, ouch, like, okay, just wanted you, you know, to know that there's a buzzer there, okay, um, so here's the deal. Uh, we just need you to sit in this room by yourself for half an hour. And then they left. Mm-hmm. And the people, nothing to read. This is pre-phones, nothing. What did a huge percentage of people do, James? <laughs> well, they pressed that buzzer. <laughs> it causes pain. And people are so uncomfortable with just being, you know, the silence that it's like they will shock themselves. Yeah. And I don't think it, I don't think they classify with extroverts or introverts. So I think there's two things going on. I, I do think that there is the sense that you talk about being with ourselves and our own thoughts and the silence is something that I think many people struggle with. I don't think it's necessarily just extroverts though. And I, I look at it as a positive thing, which is when I'm with people, I get to be my best self. And that's why I seek to be with people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was beautifully said. <clears throat> that's beautifully said. Uh, yeah, I uh, I agree that it's not just a, a necessarily an extrovert thing. Uh, the the silence the silence kills all. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but it is interesting. I mean, I I don't know if you've noticed as you have uh, as you've grown up. There's some some extroverts sometimes become a little less extroverted mm-hmm, as sure. time has gone on. Have you noticed that for yourself at all? I mean, you were still an extrovert, obviously, but uh, but have you? notice that you have begun to appreciate more uh, the the smaller group time or the alone time or, or anything like that? Oh, absolutely. I think it's called getting older, yeah. <laughs> which I in term is not so much the chronological thing, but the we I, I hope we get wiser. We get more of a sense of our, ourself because like I look at my journey of, you know, when I started out, I was a people pleaser. If someone didn't like me, that was equivalent to a crime against humanity. I mean, yeah. how, how could you not like me? Yeah. And I mean, I would physically hurt like, oh my gosh, like five people like me, this person doesn't, how can I make this person like me? What, what do I need to do to me? Mm-hmm. And there, there is a, there is a vulnerability or a steam issue or something driving that. And so I noticed as I got older, it's like, okay, I went from a people pleaser to it's like, well, I don't need to please everybody, just most people. And it's like, okay, and then I can be myself <laughs> and most people will like me and that's enough. And then it's like, you know, I am who I am. And people are going to get me or they're not. And then later it's like, okay, I'm okay with not everybody liking me. And Mm -hmm. that doesn't mean I still like being with groups. But then we, I think, uh, as we grow and do things and accomplish things and fail and recover, uh, I think the interpersonal relationships become even more important. And so the smaller group here. And in some ways, your diner talks are a perfect example of this, which is like, you don't need a group of five. Now, again, imagine (laughs) <laughs> five people are in a diner it's like say, but you know what you're super happy with this program you've created interacting with one other person who's hopefully mm-hmm. interesting 
Yeah. And yeah, I'm, I think I'm waiting that's on just that, reflection yeah. of, you know, getting older. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> no. Yeah. I, uh, that, that was well said as well. I think that, uh, it has been an interesting process for me. And I think also the one thing that I'll add on to what you said, cause I agree with it, uh, with what you said, uh, one thing I'll add on to it is that I think we also, as we get older, understand the value of time. Um, and so who is worth our time, who is worth that energy, who is worth, uh, that kind of stuff. And, and that has been, uh, that's been, that's kind of the way that I have been thinking about it as my extroversion, though still running rampant, um, has slightly wavered from time to time is it's who, who, who deserves, who deserves my time. Um, and, as someone who also has an Achilles heel or, or hat, and yes, I still have it. You've potentially worked through at least some of it. Now uh, the Achilles heel of desperately needing to be liked by people. Uh, <clears throat> that is, uh, that is sometimes an interesting balance of who is worth my time and whatnot, because I am, uh, I am also a people pleaser. I need everyone to like me and it, that affected the way that I led. It affects the way that I try to make friends. Right now we've moved to a new place in a new city and I'm, and I'm, you know, we're still in the process of trying to make friends right now. And that's a weird place to be because we also have a brand new baby and we also have a, a, a job that takes us all around the country every, you know, multiple times a week. And so it's been very interesting thinking about, the value of time, who gets the time, um, and what matters to us. Uh, so I'm wondering, yeah. you, you talked about something that was powerful around that. You said, you had said that you have been working through or, or have worked through that idea of needing to be liked. Was that something that just kind of gradually shifted where you just, all of a sudden you looked around one day and you're like, you know what? I think I'm okay with most people liking me instead of everyone. Um, is, or was that a direct switch where like one day you're like, you know what? I just got to do this for me. You know, or was oh, yeah, de definitely, definitely a long decades long process <laughs> <laughs> for sure. I mean, yeah, there was no epiphany ha, ha, slap to shaft of light from heaven on my yeah. bald solar panel. <laughs> there you go. And like, boom, there you go. Definitely a progression. Um, I, I think a lot of it's re a reflection of, are you comfortable with your sense of self? And like mm -hmm. one, one question I like to ask people, two questions actually. One was, at what age did you accept this is who I am? Mm -hmm. Meaning that it's like, I, I, I finally felt me. Like this was me. And for me, it was when, when I was a senior in high school, that's when I think my personality and my values and my things coalesced. And I said, okay, I'm now me. Now again, I'm still going to continue to grow and evolve and stuff. I'm now me. Yes. But like that, that person, like, okay, I remember thinking, okay, uh, this is who I am. Um, and then as you, as you get older, hopefully you have the potential to become more comfortable with yourself and your choices and your values and how you operate. And you care a little less mm -hmm. on that everyone agrees with you. But there are profound things like for me, and this is, you know, this, this is, you know, revelation time i mean i noticed you've got a lot of black lives matter stuff in your background this has been a big change for me the last several years as i've grappled with the concept of privilege mm. i'm a walking talking poster child of privilege <laughs> you know mm -hmm. i was you know i mean it's like and if you had asked me five years ago what privilege is i I, I wouldn't have even, I don't even know if we were really using the word privilege five, maybe, maybe about five years ago. But I remember the first time having a conversation with someone about, you know, privilege, well, not privilege, I had to work for everything. And it's like, I didn't get it, which is that 
just showing up, you have certain advantages that others don't have. Yep. And so part of, you know, my personal reckoning, reckoning is I've had to realize that a lot of who I am wasn't actually up to me. Now, don't mm. get me wrong. That's, you know, I'm still, you know, I've had to drive for me to be me, but it's like a lot of the earned things that I'm so proud of myself for achieving, I realized it's like, I had some huge advantages. And what do you do with that? And so uh, for me, it's like, I've tried to accept to be a little more humble and less cocky in some parts of my sense of self as I've realized this whole aspect of privilege. And as we've had these conversations with our, our uh, you know, friends are black and other color and other backgrounds and stuff like that. And I realized it's like, wow, it's like this whole thing of belonging and, and feeling it's like, well, I rarely question that. And it's like, wow, that's a hugely different experience than so many others. So again, it's like, we, we still go through different changes. And for me, like the last couple of years, especially the last two have been a big change as I've realized that certain things that I just accepted as, you know, earned, earned experience and earned stuff. It's like, well, you know, there was, there was some non, you know, non-interest loans, so to speak, given to me <laughs> that others didn't get. Yeah. Yeah. That was beautifully put. The way I often think about it is that, you know, those, <clears throat> the, depending on what, what privilege, how much privilege you had, et cetera, et cetera, as a, as a fellow straight white male who was raised, I was raised with more than enough. Um, and uh, <clears throat> I, uh, I, I call it that we got dropped off. We're all, we're all climbing a mountain to our goals. Um, and, and those with privilege got dropped off a little bit higher on the mountain. Um, it's not to say that we still don't have to work and still don't have to grind and, and, and what it's not, it's not all handed to us, but where we started the journey was higher up than others. Um, and, uh, yeah, that is, uh, that's that's a powerful self reflection that you're doing, and I love that it happened in the uh, in in the last you know five years, what, whatever it was that sparked it. And, and obviously, we have we have the honor of getting to hang out with a lot of really cool people who speak very passionately about a number of different subjects. So uh, it, it's it's a great opportunity for us to be around individuals who can change the way that we think. Um, in the Speakers Association, National Speakers Association, excuse me. Um, and uh, I think that's I, I don't know. I, I'm excited about the work that you've been doing um, as someone who, who who tries to do a lot of that work himself. Uh, so that that's really cool. You know, when we talked about uh, we talked about the self discovery and understanding about about yourself and learning uh, about your about what matters to you and mm -hmm. and and so you were you were this band geek uh, yeah. through and through. Uh, but did you study that? Did you also study music at UCLA or did you always know that like band is always going to be something that I do kind of more as a hobby or was, you know, in, in your own self-identity exploration? Um, what kind of that fit sure. in? Yeah, definitely door number uh, two. I, uh, I realized that I was quite good, but not great. I did not have mm -hmm. natural talent. I got to, I wrote, I, it's like the Peter Principle. They used to talk about the Peter Principle. You rise to the highest level of your incompetence. Mm -hmm. And it's like, and I realized <laughs> I peaked. It's like, I'm at, I'm like trombone first chair at UCLA marching band. And I realized that's as high as I will <laughs> ever be. And I'm okay with that. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. Mm -hmm. And I realized that it's like, cause I, I, I knew enough to recognize, you know, talent and dedication and realize I didn't have those things. 
Um, and that's okay that this can be an avocation and not a vocation. And it's a season of my life and I'm okay with them that having an arc and sunsetting. Yeah. Although I held on to the trombone for like another, you know, 20 years. Now. I remember my, uh, my uh, daughter, when she was in elementary school, they had to take, you know, an instrument. So I pull out the trombone and she's can't even reach fourth position. And she sets <laughs> it up. And then after that, I'm like, yeah, I'm just going to donate this to the local high school. And just, you know, that mm-hmm. end is, you know, that era is over. Um, you know, so, so to me, your music was, uh, again, it was my social group. Yeah. Um, it was a service group. Like, cause again, part of being part of a group is to serve the group yeah. and you know, volunteer for things and, and stuff. And so, but I realized that wasn't going to be me. I wasn't yeah. a gifted musician. I was like, I like to say, are you a musician? No, I play trombone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what did you do? Uh, what did you, what did you major in, in college? Oh, I majored in uh, communications. Okay. Um, and uh, it's interesting you talk about your paths, how different your paths can be. It's like my path in life came down to one question, one test. That the two things I cared about, I, I'm a big history buff and I love history and I read books voraciously. And my dad had been a, you know, a teacher and a principal and, a, and eventually a, a superintendent. And so my two paths were I, I was taking a lot of history classes and I was taking communications classes and I loved both. And it was the end of my sophomore year and I had to declare a major. Mm-hmm. And so I'm in a communications class and I came down and I said, okay, <clears throat> if I get an A minus in this class, I will apply and become a communications major and see where that takes me. If I don't, I'll say that's, I'll take this as a sign from God that I should go into history and I'll become a teacher and follow in my father's footsteps. And I figured out that I got an A minus by three points, which was one question on the final. <laughs> one question. And these are multiple guess questions. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so because of that, I went a communications uh, uh, route that took me on a very different journey. And so that was my decision tree point right there. Yeah. 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 What was it about communications? Like where, where were you at that point? You know, we always make fun of communications majors, right? It's like, Oh, what, you know, what do you want to do? What, what major should I be if I have no clue what I want to do? Oh, communications. Um, exactly. And- <laughs> well, this was also the, the, the major that um, the athletes on scholarships, you yep. know, were getting and they would sit in the back and cheat on the test and stuff like that. So it was like, it was a hard major to get in at UCLA, but once you were in, <laughs> it wasn't that hard. Yeah. <laughs> um, what I liked about it, it was at what they call the interdisciplinary major, which allowed me, it was one of the few majors at UCLA where you could do that, where I could, I mean, what is communication? <clears throat> little English, little history, little sociology, little psychology, little, little linguistics. You know, I was able to craft all the stuff that I was interested in and call it communications. Yeah. And so that was to be the depth. I like to say I was, um, I knew something about everything, but not everything about anything. <laughs> yep. <laughs> like, you know, I'm a two inches deep, but really wide. Right. <laughs> and that's what appealed to me. Yep. Yep. As an extrovert, uh, we love that also because we can then talk to anybody about anything. And we know enough to ask. We, we know enough to ask good questions. Yes. Uh, right. Like, and nod sagely at the answer. Yes. yes, yes. Oh, yes, yeah. I have no idea. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Strong nod game. I wanted to compliment you on your nod game, Brian. <laughs> um, <laughs> 
so you get this ma- you get this major uh excuse me you get this bachelor's and then what is your journey between uh i know i know it's a number of years but what is your journey from graduating you know flipping the tassel on the mortar board to what you're doing now with extreme meetings oh yeah so uh so two key things happen in uh uh ucla college it's like one is I decide I want to get into advertising with a capital A. I don't know any of the jobs in advertising. I did an internship for, you know, you know, 10 weeks before, but I know, I know things, but I, the idea of it, you know, in the eighties, advertising is sexy. Advertising is cool. That's like the heyday of advertising in the eighties and the early nineties. So I realized I want to go into advertising. And the second is I met my bride to be Karen Walter, Karen Weber at the time. And so uh, I she and I are in love. We want to get married. I'm a year ahead of her. And so I go to her dad and say, uh, you know, I'd like your you know, permission to marry your daughter, who's, you know, currently a junior in college. Mm-hmm. And he says, yes, if like, what's if he goes, oh. <laughs> when, when you graduate in June, you have to guarantee that you will be a fully employed person or you don't get the girl. Uh, uh, yeah, yes sir yes sir it's like okay that's so basically that's not like you but you yeah. have to have a job a job <laughs> a real job and I'm like mm-hmm. so um so i set aside my dreams of advertising i got the job that i could get where i went into department that department store executive trainee so i'm working in a department store it was called the broadway similar to macy's because now macy's is everything but right, you yep. know at the time they're all independent <laughs> And uh, so I went into that and I was on the floor and I absolutely hated it. Oh my gosh, did I hate it. Oh my gosh, an extrovert. And I'm stuck in, you know, like 30 square yards of comforters, lamps and pictures and area rugs. That was my kingdom. Oh my gosh, I hated it so much. But I was interested in training Mm -hmm. and in internal communications. And so that's a path that I was able to go. Yeah. That's incredible. First off, shout out, shout out to this dad. It's not not a ridiculous request, right? <laughs> not, I've heard I've heard more ridiculous requests, uh, but that right, like sure you can have her. You just have to be fully employed. Yeah, uh, like yep. Low bar, you know. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the uh, the fact that you turned, did you not think that you would be able to get a job in advertising? Is that why you're like, hey, let me shoot low? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Because okay. well, the other thing was um, most of the on-campus interviews will move you, but Karen had one more year of college, and so I couldn't move. So I go into these on-campus interviews. They start to talk to me, and oh, well, he's sharp. I like he's got his answers. And so you can move, right? And I'd say no, and they're like, oh, yeah. Tell me about yourself. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm not getting this job. I'm not getting this this job. So I couldn't move. I couldn't go anywhere. Right. And uh, and I didn't actually know enough to be in advertising, although I later did get in advertising. But at that time, <laughs> I did not. Yeah, <laughs> uh, <clears throat> that's awesome. So so you were how long did you work at this department store for? Um, fortunately, I only worked there uh, for uh, less than a year okay. uh, because uh, Karen actually graduated early and then she got a job with Procter & Gamble because I married very well. And they moved us to where we wanted to move, which is out of Southern California into the wilds of Seattle, where you could actually <laughs> buy a house for $100,000. And like, what? And yeah. so we moved to Seattle um, there and I... Uh, I worked on a political campaign for about a little less than a year just because I'd always wondered what that would be like. Mm-hmm. And our candidate won and they're like, okay, you want to be part of the administration? 
No, I, I, I don't. <laughs> I'm 23 years old and I yeah. don't care about government. Yeah, I just right. thought it would be fun to work on a campaign. <laughs> so I, I got hired by a department store chain up in, uh, in Seattle as an internal communications person, uh, as a video producer, having never touched a piece of video equipment in my entire life. Wow. Because in the mid 80s, video was, ooh, you could make a video. That sounds so crazy to us today, but that yeah. was a novel thing before. Only film people could make videos. Right. And now it's like, wait, like a company could make their own video? <laughs> so I learned to be a video producer, even mm -hmm. though I didn't know anything. Uh, and then I did that. And then I became a trainer. And then my old boss became the vice president of advertising for the same department store. And I became... In advertising, and I got to be a television, radio, commercial producer, in-house advertising for department store chain, which I had no business doing at all. <laughs> a true fake it till you make it moment. That is no true words have ever been said. Than that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, here's the thing: is the power of knowing people, right? And this is this is the power of extroverts: is that we are memorable, um, and uh, and usually for good reasons, sometimes for not. But but yeah, the 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 journey of of uh, the meandering from the department store life and back in. It's so funny how that's a place where you kept coming back to, even though you talk about your first job with such beautiful disdain. It is uh, it's 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 enjoyable to watch how you kind of came back to it a number of times and that. You came into uh, video production, which, uh, like you said, in the 80s is, is no joke. I mean, it truly is. Uh, there, there's no uh, over-the-counter option for, you know, video editing. At that point, it is a it, – it, video editing is always a skill, um, but it's a very different skill back then because there were way less machines that could do it, way less people doing it, et cetera, et cetera. Um, no YouTube videos to be like, how do I? Um, yeah. <laughs> and so uh, – so that's awesome. Did you enjoy that role once you got over it's, it's funny because um, <laughs> I, I, I got the job and my boss took me aside. Like no one's around. He's like, okay, here's, here's the deal. Let's just be honest. We realize you don't know what the bleep you're doing on anything <laughs> of this year. I hired you based on potential. I think you can figure it out. Don't F up and make me look bad. You've got three months to figure it out. Pats me on the back. There you go. Like, ha! Ah! So I, I went to a video editing company and I said, okay, here's the deal. You will quickly find out. I don't have the slightest idea how to do this here. And so you've got to kind of train me as I spend money at your facility here. And you've got to back me up here. And when my bosses come in and I give you an instruction, if that's the wrong thing, instead of saying, Brian, that's the wrong thing, I want you to say things like, uh, absolutely, we can do, we can totally do that. Or do you want to do it the other way that we discussed earlier and then mm -hmm. do it the correct way? Yeah. <laughs> and I said, if you do this for me, I will bring you thousands of dollars of business over the course of years. And that's exactly what they did. They backed me up and they covered my mistakes until I learned, you know, what I needed to do. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> Built your success and a little, uh, CYA work. Um, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, that's awesome. Now, at what point did you realize that, Hey, I could take some of this stuff and go out on my own 
and I want to, I want to, you know, start a business as being a MC and being a, a trainer, being a, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Was there, was there a moment in a meeting that you went to where you're like, wow, this meeting blows. Uh, I could do this differently. You're like, what, what was the transition point between those two roles being All out right on your here. own? All right. Here's, here's the journey. I'll try and give you the non four hour version. Okay. Know, Great. This, yeah. I think the diner, eventually the diner closes, <laughs> they turn off the lights, they start mopping, you know, things like that. <laughs> Uh, so again, I'm so I'm working for a department store chain. I, uh, chain. I'm you know at the corporate headquarters of this in you know Seattle, um, and it's a decent size. It's about a billion dollar you know company, which mm-hmm. wasn't you know tiny at the time, and you know and so I realized that I, I'm now at the pinnacle again. That whole Peter principle. I'm now I'm the. It's like I'm the best. I'm going to be not truly being an expert in advertising, and I'm in internal advertising, which is the redheaded stepchild of advertising internal. Mm-hmm department advertising and i realized it's like am i going to be great at advertising no (laughs) it's like do i it's like for me to get beyond where i am it's like am i willing to put in the time and energy and the learning do i even care about it it's like no and so i said okay i'm going to leave while i'm on top of this thing which people thought i was crazy how could you possibly give up this job it's like because it's like i look at the future that's not my future yeah and so i um i joined the national speakers association and um because during this time when i was advertising things i'm working i started helping out at company meetings because they were so bad (laughs) and so you know um you know, uh, we started, started doing music parodies and skits and things like that because, you know, you're in your 20s or late 20s and that's what you do. You volunteer, you do weird stuff because, you know, you, you can be embarrassed and no one cares. Yep. You know, yep. <laughs> so I get hired at a training company um, and I'm doing sales and marketing for the training company. And I'm also doing a little bit of speaking and a little bit of training for them. And about uh, a year and a half after I left, the department store chain where I used to work for, they had a, a bad year from a profit point of view, from a gross margin point of view. And the CEO said, we got to get everybody in the company buzzing about gross margin improvement. If I just yell at everybody, that's not going to work. And he goes to the director of training and said, we have these monthly meetings uh, with all the top people here. He goes, remember that funny guy who used to work here? What's his name, Brian? Yeah, yeah. Have him come back and do something about gross margin improvement. I get this call. It's like, I still remember his name. Ira Paquel wants you to do something about gross margin improvement <laughs> at these monthly meetings that they have. Like, okay. So I put together, I said, okay, uh, here's what I think you want me to do. You want me to create a customized gross margin variety show that's a meeting within a meeting once a month for six months. And they said, yes, can you do that? Sure, I can do that. I can absolutely do that. <laughs> And so what I did is I knocked off um, David Letterman. And so at the time, the company was called The Bond for the Bon Marche. And so I called it the Late Meeting Show with David Letterbond. So mm-hmm. I came out and what did I do? I'm copying the formula. I came out, I did a customized stand-up routine about gross margin improvement. I did a top 10 list about gross margin improvement. Why is everybody obsessing about Monica Lewinsky instead of Liz Claiborne? You know, boom, yeah. you know. <laughs> it's like I would have musical guests. We'd have Elvis and instead of, Return to sender, it was return to vendor, you know, mm-hmm. and I would interview buyers who were doing things like, so I, I knocked off a late night variety show and I did this for six months. We, the big finale was, we did a parody of the musical Grease, which of course was gross. 
go gross margin, go gross margin. (laughs) And when it was done, and this was the late nineties, when it was done, I'm like, that is the most fun I've ever had in my professional life ever. Yeah. I'd like to do stuff like that. And so uh, in the training company, I changed it up and said, I want to do less sales and marketing and more be a service and provide this service. Had no idea if anyone would like that. Mm -hmm. And it turns out they did. And so I call it discovering your magic. And so what my magic is, is I'm the king of customization. I can create stuff about whatever it is we're talking about. Mm -hmm. And once I figured that out, people hired me. Now they were hiring me through the company I was working at and it took, gosh, it was like, took another seven years before my wife, Karen said, you know, we should spin this off and own the business ourselves." And so with Karen driving it and doing it, and we are a certified women-owned business, Karen owns 51%. She is the CEO. I am barely the talent meat puppet. Uh, I read that on the website, actually. Yes, That's your it's like, direct and, title. Yeah, <laughs> yes. And so, so since uh, uh, 2007, we've owned the business ourselves. So that's kind mm-hmm. of the journey on how we got there. That's awesome. Uh, <laughs> that's so much fun. You know, like 2007, you mean just in time for the Great Recession? Yes. <laughs> I don't want to bring it up. Uh, <laughs> Uh, based on a, pr- a conversation we were having prior uh, to getting on uh, on air uh, here, it sounds like you've had some good timing um, in your business. Yeah. <laughs> so actually, it, tur- it turned out it was yeah. it was good timing because uh, uh, I think uh, when there's adversity, and here's the here's the weird thing: it's like um, non personal adversity. So mm-hmm. when the Great Recession happened, um, it wasn't personal. It's like you know, this is all about Brian. Okay, mm-hmm. it had nothing to do with me. It's like the global economy, especially in the United States, were host mm-hmm. for a while. And so I, I, I used to think, I used to feel like I'm a lion on the savannah and I'll take a wildebeest. I'm a lion on the savannah. I'll take a rhino. And I said, now I'm a lion on the savannah. I'm looking for a squirrel. You know, yeah. <laughs> I'll need another squirrel. And so I remember it's like it was, uh, it was like April or February, you know, I guess February 2009, the height of the recession. The stock market is at 6,000. Yeah. 6,000. Now it's like, what, 29, 30, something like that. I mean, and I thought, what is anything I know how to do that customers in this environment will pay $500 for? Mm-hmm. And that was my deal. What's anything I know how to do that customers in this environment will pay $500 for? And my salvation was PowerPoint. <laughs> I don't know why. I get a client who calls me and go, hey, Brian, we got a meeting coming up. I said, great, great. Would you like me to come be the MC for it? No, no, no. We're not having any outsiders. No, 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 no outsiders here. But why are you calling? I always liked your visuals. Could you do the PowerPoint for our uh, vice president? Uh, sure. How much will it cost? $500. I'm like, okay. And I, you know, delegate it to a freelancer and manage it and, you know, make 350. It's like, okay. And then they call me back the next month. Hey, you know, Brian is like, we're having another meeting coming in. Great. Would you like me to come MC? No, no, no. There's no outsiders coming in. <laughs> uh, we'd like you to do, uh, you know, the PowerPoint for all of the presenters. Like, okay, how much will that cost? 500 each. Great. Third month, they said, this is working out so well. Can we sign a contract with you for the rest of the year? Yes. And then I turned to Karen. Hey, congratulations. Let's shake each other's hands. We are now a multimedia company. And then I thought, oh, maybe I should start doing video again in multimedia. And then I combined it. So then mm-hmm. we could hire you. Could, I could be the MC. I could write the script. I could do the video. We could do the visuals. 
and I could even come on site and liaise with the AV team. And suddenly we have six streams of income and we survive the Great Recession. That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. You just, you figure it out, right? What do they, what do they need right now that I can do? Uh, yeah. That's incredible. <clears throat> That's incredible. And that is, is, is that also how, you know, we talked about how the meetings industry was obviously really affected because of the pandemic. Is that, mm-hmm. is that also uh, kind of how you survived that time as well? Yeah, I've got two things. For that. One is the same approach. The other one's personal. I'll go to the same approach. So when the uh, you know, the pandemic hit, we realized it wasn't just going to be three weeks. <laughs> Can you believe there was time we thought, well, it's going to suck for about a month. It's fine. I have yeah. savings, you know. <laughs> um, when I realized that, it's like, okay, human beings must meet. Mm-hmm. So I will embrace this virtual thing because the default is for humans to be boring in meetings. That's the default. Yeah. Like, like we've figured out we can turn on a Zoom thing and we can stare at people's headshots as they talk, which is the most inefficient <laughs> form of communication known to humankind. <laughs> like that's, that's just like, so I thought, okay, so I have to learn how to make it work from here. But again, meetings really are people talking, visuals, videos, audio. That's it. I have all those skill sets. And since we survived the Great Recession, we'll do it again. So I wasn't worried because I thought it's like, okay, human beings must meet. They just need to do it virtually now. They're not going to not meet. Mm -hmm. They're just going to do it differently. And if I can adapt to that, uh, because others won't. Others are, I mean, like you and I know through the National Speakers Association, many people said it's like, I'll wait this out. Yep. It's like, I'll wait this out. Mm -hmm. Like, this is going to go on for a year or more. It's it's like, yes, a year or more. It's still going on. But- So leapt into it. And so that's it. The the second thing is, and this goes to my personal philosophy in life. My whole philosophy in life can come down to two words, assertive optimism. Mm. That's how I live my life. Assertive optimism. I go into every situation. I presume that it's going to work out. Yeah. But it's not like the secret. I'll just sit here and it'll work out. No, assertive optimism. You have to do stuff, but as long as I do stuff, it's like, and you know what? If you believe something's going to work out and you're actively doing things for it to work out, the vast majority of time, it's going to work out. Mm-hmm. And the few times it doesn't keeps you from being cocky. <laughs> it's not like, it's not magic. Yeah, right. It's, it's a technique. And so with that, it's like pretty much like everything is going to work out as long as I do things and, and believe that it'll work out. So when you combine those two things together, most of the times it works. And it's funny because the people, I, I talk about it, I jokingly say, you're in the bubble. And in the Brian's bubble world, everything works out. Mm-hmm. And so like we're run, running late to the movie theater. Are we going to get there in time? Will there be a parking spot? I go, of course, because you're in the bubble. And then a parking spot opens up. People only remember the times that it works out. They don't remember the time it doesn't. And so we, I, I have this humorous uh, reputation for things always work out. Yeah. But it's not magic. It's mm-hmm. because you have attitude and willing to take action, but you have to believe it'll work out. So because of right. that, that's how we've been getting through COVID. That's amazing. You were also, I mean, in the few times that we have, it's really the one one main time that we've worked together, mm-hmm. you are also someone who is very meticulous about uh, <clears throat> about preparation and, and you know, things, things 
always work out also when you've prepared and, and thought mm. through different options and whatnot. And so that's something that I want, I want to give you credit for. And just something I've noticed about you is that your preparation on the front end, your attention to detail, uh, which are all things are, that you have to have, if you're going to be in video production, if you're going to be in someone mm-hmm. who's in front yeah. of all the customization, right. You got to make it all look right. Uh, you're not, Hey, Bobby, I'm winging it. Hey, don't, um, right. Like <clears throat> there is, there is, magic to the way that you make things happen and some of that magic is yes this assertive optimism approach uh and some of that magic is also your ability to think through what could go wrong um and it's not like you you don't sit here with assertive optimism like nothing will go wrong um, it's it's a weird combination you prepare so thoroughly on what you can anticipate that allows you to embrace what you haven't. Because if, uh, to, to me, it's like the, the certain people will make a, uh, not a, a value, will make a, a, a benefit out of not being prepared. You know, I find myself best when, when I just wing it. Oh, so you're too lazy to work. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. I've just found that I've given my best stuff here. It's like, oh, so you forget all the times where you completely sucked mm-hmm. or you harmed others because of your, preparedness or you made them carry it's like so my deal is like i like to say it's like part of what makes us professional will we do what others can't or won't when it comes to preparing will we do what others can't or won't and i think that makes us professionals now on the other hand though when you are prepared and you are confident of your preparation when something happens that you didn't anticipate this allows you the freedom of improvisation because it didn't happen because you're a screw up. Mm-hmm. It, it happens because the world is filled with entropy. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it, it, <laughs> things happen. Things happen. And I learned the most valuable uh, thing from a fellow speaker who's a magician. Um, his name is Giovanni Lavera out of Orlando. And um, and early in time with the National Speakers Association, early 2000s, he was like the, he had more showmanship than any person I'd ever seen in my entire life. And so I said, hey, Giovanni, I'd love to hang with you. And uh, it just watched you do your thing. He's like, sure, fly on to Orlando. I said, well, I can't really afford that. And he's like, so what did you think was going to happen? <laughs> I said, no, no, no. Well, uh, I said, if I get you some gigs here in Seattle, like some full paying gigs, can I hang with you? And he's like, yes, Brian, feel free to get me some full paying gigs and you can hang with me. Yes. So I did. I got him with Microsoft. I got him another, you know, I got him with an insurance company. So I got him like a series of three gigs. So I got to see him do his act multiple times so i knew what was supposed to happen yeah and one uh, one of these gigs he brings up three women and they're like there and he's got his little table here and he's got his cards and he's okay pick pick you know a card okay okay put it back okay and then he says do you know how to shuffle and he gives it to one and they shuffle it as many times as they want i've seen this act yeah does the same thing okay pick the card put it back here can you shuffle yes and she goes <laughs> and the deck explodes <laughs> and everyone and he stops he's looking down and I know this is wrong. The audience can tell this is wrong. And it's yeah. like, this wasn't supposed to happen. And he's like gathering up on the floor and he's putting the, because I don't know how magic works, but I know you like certain sequence or you crimp yeah. and you do something, but it's like throwing them on the floor is not how it's supposed to work. Yep. And so he's getting up there and he's okay. And he goes, okay, um, is that your card? She goes, no. He said, oh, I didn't say it was your card. I just, I just wanted to know if it was your card. He's like, is that your card? <laughs> no, darn it. And like, we're feeling for this poor guy here. And he goes, yeah. is it? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He pulls the card. Is that your card? She says, yes. The crowd 
goes berserk. <laughs> so I go home afterwards. I was like, Geo, it's like I was so worried for you when it had exploded. And he said, Brian, Brian, when something like that happens, unexpected, unanticipated, and it's obvious to everyone, he said, that's a gift from the gods. He said, the audience is so pulling for you because they know the odds of this working out are low. But if you do, they feel more excited for you and for them than if it had not happened. He said, hey, of course I'd already pawned the card before I gave it to her. And he said, I had to hide my face from showing how thrilled I was that that happened. (laughs) And so after that time, I realized that when something weird and unexpected happens, that's not through lack of preparation or skill, that that's a gift to embrace because you can make magic happen. Because I say, I say, prepare all you can and then leave room for magic. Mm-hmm. And it's the unexpected is when magic happens. Yeah. That's how jazz is always, that's how they talk about jazz, right? It's not all completely, a lot of it is written, but you always leave space for the magic and for the solos and for the whatever. Uh, yeah, and for that's you beautiful. as an improv artist, I mean, you yep. spent like, I think 116 years as an improv artist. Yeah, you know. approximately, yeah. Um, and that's funny and, because, oh, good, yeah. good. No, no, because in improv, there's there's structures, there's rules. You know, I mean, you don't yeah. say no, you just like things like that. But it's like the most magical things happen when there's a really interesting twist. It's like if, like, give us a situation. It's like um, a bank withdrawal from your bank. Oh, gee, thanks so much for that exciting <laughs> scenario. But when they say it's like a unicorn and a giraffe walk into a bar with you. Mm-hmm okay it's like in the history of the world that has never been said before and now you james are going to run with it and something magical will happen with your Mm -hmm. improvisation skills with both of those it's going to be the most exciting bank withdrawal you've ever seen in your life or it's going to be the most realistic unicorn yeah either way yeah we got your back yeah and that's what i was thinking while you were talking is that it is an improv it's not just making stuff up there are rules you have to take classes you don't have to i mean technically anybody can get up there and make make stuff up but in order to make stuff up in a way that makes audiences happy and makes teams gel uh it is by learning these improv rules and knowing when you can break them uh so yeah that's awesome i think from your story i'm also uh reminded that i need to keep a seven of diamonds in my cheek so uh <laughs> so that's great to know too you know oh, no, yeah big that. big takeaway from this uh <laughs> is, that a, is that a chew there no it's a seven of diamonds it's a okay. seven of diamonds yeah what do you i'm not a monster um, really i'm not <laughs> um <laughs> yeah uh, that's amazing. You know, this assertive optimism that you talked about, you, you mentioned earlier how you believe that you really kind of came to know who you were and weren't mm-hmm. done with the process of, of growing, mm-hmm. but really kind of came to know who you were when you were a senior in high school. Yeah. Um, and is that, is, can you go back to that time and say like, Oh, I, I guess I always have been kind of an optimist with everything, but my sister, um, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's, that's, that's funny. It's funny. Right. Except my sister who, again, we are very close now. In fact, yeah. you know, we became closer in my twenties and then in my forties and fifties, you know, we'll say however long we are there that, um, but yeah, close. So, um, so yeah, it's funny. I, I remember a big moment. So I had become like president of the, the band, you know, the volunteer president of the band um, in high school. And then at the end of my senior year, uh, the band director who had been there for a long time was retiring. And mm-hmm. so I improvised 
a a speech of how we felt about him and his contributions. And I didn't understand what in the zone was, but at that moment I was in, you know, the zone and then, you know, finished it. And there was, you know, with the tribute to him, you know, Mr. Coleman, da, 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 and I finished it. And there was this hush because people had felt something yeah. and I had not and like, and, and you can go now. It's like, I mean, it's like, and I remember that feeling. And I, that's like, a, wow, I, I didn't know that I could help create moments like that where people felt things. Yeah. I remember how good that felt to be the, you know, the, you know, the conduit for that and be able to say, it's like, people want to laugh. People want to feel. And if I can serve them in a way, provide an opportunity for them to be that way, wow, that, that's great. And then I realized that not everybody can do that. Yeah. And so, and to me, and it, it, but again, it was, it was a thing professionally at the time, but it was like, it works when you're truly in service to others. Again, yeah. I wasn't a stand-up comedian. It was making about me, it was talking about my story, but it's like, I enjoyed putting the attention on others, sharing things, getting them to feel and laugh. And I remember, it, I remember thinking it's like, I didn't even know. I I wouldn't I wouldn't uh, see a professional speaker for probably fifteen you know probably like you know seventeen years before I even knew that such a thing existed. But I remember that feeling, and then it's like okay, I'm someone who won't shy away from coming up to a microphone and talking about what's important. Yeah, that's beautiful. <clears throat> that's beautiful. Uh... And that is, that is a gift, as you mentioned. Not everybody can do that. Not everybody will do that. But not shying away uh, from walking up to the microphone to talk about something that is important is, is, a, is a beautiful way to talk about what we do. And, and you and I do it very differently. Uh, and, but at the same time, that is, it is our job to make people feel. And that's a pretty cool, it's a pretty cool role. Uh, and it's, it's, it's really special. It's one that I, I do not take for granted. I get welled up when I talk about it. Uh, and it is, uh, it's, it's an honor to be given that kind of trust, uh, and to be given that kind of presence. And it's one that we cannot take for granted. And so I love, I love the way that you, that you put it. And it's I think it's Spider-Man, it's Spider-Man time with great power comes great, power, great yes. responsibility or whatever the, you know, that quote is that, yep. Um, Cause right. When you get up there in front of others, that's a high risk. You know, there's not much net, you know, you're a high wire mm -hmm. act yeah. and it's like, okay, there are multiple right answers, but there are definitely wrong ones. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like you said, there's like there are all sorts of different ways that you can, you know, connect. Some people are like, da, 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 you know, show other people, they slowly warm up and things like that. But it's like when getting up in front of others, it's like that responsibility. It's like, okay, I'm, there's only a few people who up here get to do this. How do I make it about them? How do I not waste their time yeah. and waste this opportunity of attention and focus where everyone, at least for a brief moment in time, is all in the same mindset in the same place, hopefully with similar goals. And you can squander that or you can maximize that. Um, and that's why it's just such a huge responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. And a beautiful one that we, uh, 
happily carry or excited to carry, uh, and uh, and one that you, Brian, carry really well. I've I've had the the privilege of, as I mentioned, my first year in NSA, I believe, was the year that you were the president. My um, reign of terror. Yes, yes, and I had no idea what was going on. I think I signed up to be a member of NSA right before, uh, right before influence, and I didn't know what was going on. And I was like, this guy, okay, he's fun, uh, nice tie, and. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Great blazer game, but uh, but still, hey, bald guys uh, have to try harder. That's also my personal <laughs> philosophy. Okay. I'm glad we snuck that in there. Um, but yeah, the uh, but 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 since then, getting to know you a little bit more and getting to know and watch you work your magic in a lot of ways, again to be a part of some of the things that you have put on, uh, it is it's been really cool to watch. I've learned from you. Uh, I've grown because of you, and uh, and it's just. Uh, I'm grateful uh, for the for the relationship that we are building, and that you wanted to come and hang out with me in the diner today, brother. I appreciate it. I appreciate. It. Uh, I, I love our association that we are a part of because it allows us to expand our world. Mm-hmm. It would have been very easy for me to just hang with people who are like me, and instead, because we're in the group, we make connections. And again. You are the hippest white guy I know. I tell you, <laughs> come on. It's like, uh, and you've got your beatboxing thing, which is uh, something I can recognize the magic of, but I mm-hmm. could not recreate if I was offered millions of dollars. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry, are you drooling or are you beatboxing? I can't tell. Um, and, you know, you have, you know, you're, you have this big presence when you come on on stage and everyone is hanging on what is he going to say next because mm-hmm. uh with your your improvisational style we don't know we don't, neither do i yeah and <laughs> that's that's part of magic and that's part of you're talking the multiple things here and yeah. so i'm just i'm just uh thankful for the association that allows uh, weirdos like you and i to connect and yeah. for you to have put together this diner talks thing which um, allows us to connect and hopefully with your 17,000, 17 million or 17 viewers don't know where it is on that, you know, spectrum <laughs> here that, uh, you know, hopefully that some of the things we talked about uh, are, you know, little conversation starters for folks to have their own reflections and conversation with people that they care about in their world. I agree too, man. Thank you. And thank you for your kind words. I'm not good at taking compliments, but I will attempt to take that one. Uh, <laughs> oh, you'll take it. You'll oh, you will, take you will it. Take it. it is recorded, sir. Yes. Um, <laughs> We know you won't spend time editing, so it's in there. Come on. That is 100% true. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Brian, where can people find you if they want to learn more about the magic that you do bring uh, to meetings and and the training offerings that you have as well? Well, good up with the bar that you've had underneath for the last uh, 20 minutes. Uh, that's a good start there. At, uh, yeah, ExtremeMeetings.com is uh, our, our, uh, our, our website where you can kind of see our approach and some video clips and some kind of like highlights of uh, things that we've done there. And if people have meetings that they would like to not suck, we'd <laughs> love to uh, support that. Uh, but, you know, the, the main thing is that, you know, through something like this, that I hope something that we both said together inspires you, the, uh, the, the viewer, to make a tweak in how you lead meetings and how you interact with others, because it's not about James or I, it's about uh, the impact you can make with different ideas that uh, you glean from this series of diner talks with mm. James. <laughs> Brian, thank you so much for hanging out today. It means the world, brother. I appreciate you. It's a privilege.
Indeed, indeed. Y'all, that was my time with Brian Walter. What an incredible man. The energy, the voices, you know, you know, I like that. I'm always bringing, I'm always peppering a little bit of a voice every once in a while myself. And so I just appreciate his energy, the assertive optimism. I appreciate that. And the key word in there is not optimism, it's assertive. And that is implying that it is a choice that we have the opportunity to make in every situation. And yes, there are times where optimism can feel like we're all pissing rainbows and it's all one big giant hug and it feels weird. Uh, But optimism doesn't have to be all that weird, y'all. We can choose to look at the bright side if we would like to. Uh, And it is a choice. And I also appreciate Brian's self-awareness. And as someone who's gotten to watch the work that he has done with Extreme Meetings, uh, if you all have something coming up that you think needs a little more zhuzh, as my mom would say, feel free to hit up Brian Walter at ExtremeMeetings.com. And until next time, my friends, do me a favor. Keep punching small talk in the face by asking better questions. You all take care. Y'all, it was so much fun kicking it in the diner with you. And I would say our timing was right about perfect because I just finished the last few drops of my milkshake. (laughs) Listen, y'all, you would do my self-esteem a huge favor. If wherever you listen to podcasts, if you could leave a rating, if you could subscribe, if you could leave a comment, a review, anything like that, that is how we get this podcast into more people's ears. And if you want to stay in touch with the podcast elsewhere, we are Diner Talks with James on Instagram. Pretty original, huh? I agree. Also, if you want to hang out with me just individually on more places, I am James T. Robo all over the internet. Y'all had a blast with you. I appreciate you. Take care and stay great. <laughs>